0: Well, it's really good to see everyone here this morning. We do have a couple of visitors. We're grateful that you've come our way. Uh, We're encouraged by your presence. We're encouraged by the presence of everyone who is here. Uh, We appreciate your devotion uh, to spiritual things. I wanted to begin this morning before we jump into our text there in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, just with a couple of um, maybe housekeeping notes. First of all, um, I had originally planned to begin uh, looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tonight. I had a really good suggestion to, to start those um, books um, as, as for, for an Old Testament book. Uh, but uh, part of the way through, a, through the week, I got a really good question about another uh, text in the Bible. So we're going to get into Ezra um, maybe next week or the week after. I wanted to deal with that that question that I got uh, about the the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, which is kind of a difficult text. So um, I want us to look at that uh, tonight. And then, um, just for your information, uh, we do have a new podcast that is up uh, that has our sermons on it. Uh, It's available for people to listen to it. You can share it with people. Uh, It's got the whole gospel meeting series on there uh, so far, and we'll keep updating that. But if you need the link to that, let me know. I'll get that to you. Um, we, want, we want that to be available to everybody. This morning, I wanted to think with you for a few moments about um, some essential qualities of Christian maturity. And really, that's what we are uh, aiming for, to be mature Christians. Paul talked a lot about it. It's why he use the, the description of the type of food that we eat. Uh, there were some who couldn't eat solid food. They needed the milk of the gospel. Others were able to use solid food. And I think that's important to understand because I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we first come up out of the waters of baptism. Okay, I'm a mature Christian now. I don't think that's the case at all. We are brand new babes in Christ, and we need help to grow in the maturity that God wants us to have. God understands it's a process as we are transformed to look more like Him. That's what brothers and sisters are to be all about, helping one another grow and mature so that we can be mature Christians like God desires us to be. I think here in Hebrews chapter 12, the last half of the chapter really provides for us six qualities that you will find in a mature Christian. These are qualities that we should all be striving uh, to have in ourselves. But just to give us a little bit of context, first of all, Hebrews chapter 12 uh, follows on the heels of chapter 11, which is that great chapter of faith that describes all of these individuals who, who displayed such great faith in their lives, and chapter 12 begins uh, kind of building off of that with God being the one who perfects our faith. We have all of these examples, this great cloud of witnesses that we can look to for examples of faith, but ultimately God is the one who, who is the founder of our faith, he's the one who perfects our faith, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As he goes through, as the Hebrew writer goes through the first part of chapter 12, though, he kind of shifts shifts his focus to the idea of discipline. And discipline is a very necessary aspect of the Christian life. We don't like to think about that uh, because, you know, we don't like to be disciplined. Growing up, you did everything you could not to be disciplined. I was terrified uh, that I would do something wrong and my mom would get on me because I knew if my mom caught me, her discipline was, I would have rather had a spanking for my dad. Because she would sit me down and she would talk to me for like two hours about what I did and why what I did was wrong. Discipline isn't fun. But it's necessary. Because what the Hebrew writer describes for us is that discipline is intended to make us holy people. It's intended to make us different than the world. Discipline lifts us up and it builds us up. So discipline is an essential part of maturity. We're not going to grow in maturity if we're not disciplined. Just like, you know, I wouldn't have grown into some kind of maturity if my mom hadn't sat down with me for two hours telling me what I had done wrong and what I needed to do about it. Well, beginning in verse 12, then, the Hebrew writer turns to how we can uh, advance in discipline, how that discipline can now change us to be mature Christians and the qualities that we see in a mature Christian. I like uh, the way F.F. Bruce, who is a commentator from England, put it. He said, it's kind of like in verse 12, we begin having this idea of, okay, let us then be up and doing. It is now time for us to go about the work of being mature Christians. And this particular section, verses 12 through 29, really uh, draws heavily from the Old Testament. There are a lot of allusions to the Old Testament here. And it's important to notice a phrase that's in verse 15 and verse 25, And it's the phrase, see to it. There in verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. In verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That phrase, see to it, is a very descriptive phrase because it carries with it the idea that this is what I want you to do. Here's what I'm giving you. Here's an instruction I'm giving you. See to it that you go about it. It's like when you're growing up and your mom says, I want you to clean your room. What she's saying is, see to it that you go clean your room. This is your responsibility that you grow in these ways that the Hebrew writer is going to describe here. The idea of seeing to it isn't some kind of a flash-in-the-pan idea, but rather uh, the Christian life is dependent on on uh, a a steady persistence that lasts. The the Christian life isn't about having these just few really great moments of of inspiration where you're just out there working, but the rest of the time you kind of lay back and there's nothing going on. The Christian life, a mature Christian life, is all about being steady and persistent in your life. We all have moments of inspiration. We have moments where we feel the fire a little bit more. Everybody goes through that. The real test of maturity is whether we can maintain our persistence throughout the course of our lives. That shows maturity. And so the, the Hebrew writer wants them to see to it that they understand and that they follow these qualities of Christian maturity. And these points that the Hebrew wants them to see, these points display whether we are mature Christians or are not. And I I hope that we understand as we go through this morning, these aren't optional extras. It isn't like the, the extra credit on a test. These are essential qualities. If we are lacking them, we are lacking in maturity, and we need to grow in maturity. See to it. I think we need to take those words to heart. See to it that we are going about these qualities. So beginning in verse 12, it says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. The first essential quality of Christian maturity, I think, is keep strong and keep straight. Uh, that's that's uh, how another translation describes it. Mine describes it as lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Again, the journey of the Christian life uh, is not focused on just a few special performances that we put out there. The, the journey of the Christian life is just that. It's a journey. It's a process, a growth, of maturity. It's a steady persistence. And here in verses 12 through 13, uh, the Hebrew writer quotes from Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 3, where it says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Now, if you were to turn over to Hebrews chapter 35 and you were to read the surrounding context, you would find that this verse finds itself in the context of God desiring his people to be holy. And so this is important when we think about our desire to be holy. Holiness is essential in maturity. I'm not sure you have really one without the other. But keep strong and keep straight. It kind of describes in kind of the negative way those who are walking along a path and their knees begin to to waver because they're weak. It describes those who have listless hands and feeble arms and weak knees. I'll tell you what, when I think about those kind of descriptions, I don't think about a mature person. You think about someone who's running a race. So I'll take me for example. I ran a 5K when I was in high school, and there for a while I ran two miles every single night. But after I ran that race, every time I tried to, I stopped running for a while, and every time I tried to go back and run, because I hadn't practiced and because I hadn't run consistently, I'd get out there and half a mile in, my knees started shaking. And my, my wind was just gone from me and I was breathing, breathing heavy. That's the kind of idea here. If we are not mature Christians, then we are going to be people who have these listless hands and feeble arms and weak knees, who aren't able to consistently persist through the course of our lives in in faithfulness to God. We're going to continually have moments where where we give up because we haven't gained that maturity. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is, I don't want you to buckle. I don't want you to grow weak. I want you to stay strong. I want you to stay straight in your walk. You think about it, this would be one of the challenges that these Christians were facing. I think despondency is one of the great um, uses, or one of the great things that the devil makes use of in our lives. He likes to get us despondent. He likes to get us down to where we feel like we just can't keep going on. He wants us to feel weak and feeble. I was thinking about an example of this. There was a man in the church that I grew up in, uh, in Indiana. He was a really close friend of my family. He had some some difficult things that happened in his life, but he was one of those people that he was kind of a flash-in-the-pan type person. He had moments where he was just really, you know, working hard for the Lord, and the moments where he just kind of fell off. I remember the last time that we talked to him, he ended up falling away. He had been divorced before, and he wanted to get remarried, and it was just tough for him he was one of those people that he had those feeble knees, And he didn't keep strong and he didn't keep straight. Life got him down. He became despondent about his life and about the difficulties that were there. And he just didn't keep going. What the Hebrew writer wants us to see is that if we're going to be mature Christians, we're going to be those who are strong even when despondency tries to take us, when the devil tries to make us feel like you know We can't keep going on. This is a challenge for us. But this is what mature Christians display. A resoluteness. And mature Christians must be prepared to declare, I refuse to gratify the devil by being downhearted by what he tries to bring me down with. Because he wants to see our knees feeble and our arms buckle." So keep strong, keep straight. That's the idea from Proverbs chapter 4, where God makes level paths for our feet. God is there trying to help us stay strong and stay straight. The question I have to ask myself, and you have to ask yourself, is Am I weak? Am I drifting? Am I despondent? Do I display this aspect of Christian maturity? Notice verse 14 then. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The second aspect of Christian maturity is the idea of pursuing harmony and holiness. He uses the words here, make every effort here. Strive for peace, make every effort. It's a graphic phrase, it's not the idea of give it a shot, give it a try, give it you know, the old college try. Uh, I want you to just you know, make an effort to do this. What he is saying is make it a point to do this. Strive to do this. Make every effort possible, possible to do this. I want you to pursue peace and harmony and holiness with a passion. That's kind of like when we take our dog to the, to the park. There, there's one park that we go to that has so many trees. The squirrels are just everywhere. And my dog loves squirrels. And he chases after them with a passion. We've got to have that kind of passion where, where he sees that and immediately he takes off after it. That's the kind of passion we've got to pursue harmony and holiness with. A single-minded, I see it there in front of me, I'm going to give every effort to go attain it. If you want to see God, you better start applying yourself to harmony and holiness. And I think it's incredibly important that we make a point here. The world will look at this idea of harmony and holiness and say that means that you need to be okay with everything that anybody else uh, believes or does, that's having harmony with them, and that can keep you being holy with God. I I would just say that the harmony that the writer mentions here does not come at the expense of holiness. The harmony, harmony that he's talking about here does not come at the expense of holiness. It is the holiness that that provides the framework for the harmony that we are to pursue with people. The Bible, I think, is very clear on this point. You think about over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, to be made holy that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Do you see what the writer is saying there? I want you to be holy. And yes, the Hebrew writer says that we are to pursue peace, but you know what? When we see something that's clearly wrong, we've got to take a stand because holiness demands it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Be holy. Don't don't make deals with the devil, you know. Be holy. But we are to be seeking for peace. It is the holiness that we pursue that calls out to the world, I'm different. I I believe something different than the world teaches. I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that I'm supposed to be different. The world is full of disarray and friction. It's full of arguments and fights. It's full of people who want to have the last word in the argument that want to be the, the, the winner of the argument. We show the world our holiness and our difference by our ability to be peaceful and harmonious. That doesn't mean we don't take a stand for what's right, but it does mean that we seek peace that we seek harmony so that we can bring people to Christ. It means that we seek peace with one another. I think one of the saddest things that can happen is when you see a group of God's people divide over something. I don't think that's what God desires at all. He doesn't want that to, to happen. We should be seeking to have peace with one another, never compromising holiness, but always seeking to be in harmony with one another. We do this In the way that we treat one another, in the way that we treat those in the world, harmony and holiness—Are we seeking those things? If we are, that's an aspect of our Christian maturity. If we aren't, that's something we need to grow in. Well, secondly, in verse or thirdly, in verse fifteen, it says, "See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God." That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. This third aspect of Christian maturity is growing in grace, not in bitterness. Now, I think this is an interesting phrase here in verse sixteen. That no, uh, in verse fifteen, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I think it begs the question how do we miss the grace of God? How do we lose the grace of God? I think a passage over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 maybe gives us some insight onto this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Paul makes it very clear you can receive the grace of God in vain. There is something that you can do that causes that to happen. You think about how God's grace is communicated to us. It's communicated to us through God's Word, through Scripture. And I think we would have to acknowledge that it is possible for us to hear the Scripture, hear about God's saving work, hear about God's grace, hear about what Jesus did and our responsibility in response to that, and not hear it, to not hear about. You think about all of those, those people that Jesus taught during His ministry, always calling on them to have their ears opened. Too often, people hear the Word of God and they let it go in one ear and right out the other. Well, I think this is one of the ways that we can lose or miss the grace of God. And if we miss it, it won't be because it wasn't accessible to us. It's there. We can read about it. We can see it. It'll be because we decided I don't want to pay attention to it anymore. But he also says here, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, so we want to grow in our understanding of the grace of God if we're going to be mature Christians. But he also says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, I think this is another way that we can lose out on our grace. If you notice, um, I don't know if every translation has this, but in my Bible, that phrase, root of bitterness, is in quotation marks. That is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 16. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 29 uh, and verse 16. There's actually a few verses that I want us to notice here. Deuteronomy chapter 29, (coughs) beginning in verse 16. We have here in Deuteronomy chapter 29, the covenant being renewed with God's people. In verse 16, this is what Moses says to the people. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. So so notice there in those first two verses, what, what Moses is saying is, if you remember when we were back in Egypt, you could look around and you could see the idols that the Egyptians had, all the detestable things that they had, their idols of wood and stone and silver and gold. that that they had everywhere. Verse 18, Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you, and this is where the quotation comes from, a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruits. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. If you notice there, Moses is talking about you saw all these idols. Well, what, does, what connection do those idols of silver and gold and wood that the Egyptians had among them have to do with Moses warning them, don't allow this root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit to, to spring up among you. Whatever this is, it can cause God's wrath to come against them. I think this in connections with Hebrews Uh, Chapter 12 is probably one of the connections I would make to talk about how we can fall from grace. But I think what, what Paul or what the Hebrew writer is talking about here and what Moses is talking about is make sure that there is nothing in your life that can grow up into something that can cause God's wrath to come upon you. Because sin can start like a little root. And it can seize hold in your heart. And it may not be very big at first. But if you don't cut it out right when it's a root, it's going to grow. And it will grow into something bigger. And it will continue to grow into something bigger until finally the wrath of God comes down upon that person like, it, like Moses describes there in Deuteronomy. And so what the Hebrew writer is saying is you need to grow in the grace of God you can lose the grace of God and one of the ways you lose that is by allowing sin, the, the sin, the root of bitterness to begin to grow in your life and if you don't cut that out, you're going to miss this grace that God has given you. And so grow in grace. Don't allow that root to grow. Don't allow it to grow inside of you. And we see that happen to the Israelites, don't we? We see throughout their history, they struggled with idolatry. Where do you think it began? They saw it in Egypt. They come into the promised land. They don't drive out the peoples. Idolatry is allowed to remain until finally it becomes such a a problem for the Israelites that the Lord says, okay, I'm sending you into captivity. Here's your discipline. That can happen to us just as easily. And so those Christians who display mature qualities are those that grow in the grace of God, grow in their understanding of the grace of God, but don't allow the root of sin and bitterness to creep into our hearts and grow. We have to cut it off before it has a chance to grow. So maturity focuses on God's grace and kills the root of bitterness. Fourth, or fifth, In verse 16, the Hebrew writer says that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This fifth aspect of Christian maturity is the idea of rejecting immorality and godlessness. This is the other side of holiness. We are called to be other than, different than the world. And I think as you look around the world, it is becoming more and more obvious that sexual immorality and godlessness is becoming more and more prevalent and is becoming, uh, you know, mainstream. And you can't watch a movie or a TV show or anything, I, I think Jason alluded to this, without seeing something on there that is full of immorality and godlessness. It is a part of our culture now. And what the Hebrew writer says is, you don't allow the root of bitterness to grow, and you don't tolerate sexual immorality. This is a part of being holy and mature. Because if we tolerate it, what we begin to do is worship the creature rather than the creator. I think at its very root, that is the the problem with those kind of sexual sins. We are beginning to make more importance God's creatures than the Creator Himself.
1: Incidentally,
0: that's the problem with Esau, right? That's described here right after this. You think about the story of Esau when he sold his birthright. We might look at that and go, well, how does that connect to you know, avoid sexual immorality. But but look at what Esau did there in that story. He comes in from the field, he's hungry, and he goes to Jacob and he says, give me some food, and Jacob, you know, Jacob's the deceiver, he's the one who goes, well, I'll give you some of my stew, but I want your birthright. Esau doesn't blink, he gives him the birthright. What was he doing right there? He was worshiping himself and his appetites more than what should have been important to him. What the Hebrew writer says here is that when we don't avoid sexual immorality, when we are defiled by it, what we are doing is we are making more important our appetites rather than what should be important to us, which is God himself. Far too many people have sold out in a moment in the area of sexual immorality. And it's devastating. That is exactly what the Hebrew writer gets at. He describes that root of bitterness springing up, it causes trouble. Many become defiled. The one who is sexually immoral becomes unholy, like Esau. And did you see how the story of Esau ends there in verse 17 when he desired to inherit the blessing? He was rejected. Too many have sold out in a moment in the area of sexual immorality. You can build a life for 30 years and destroy it in five minutes. Verse 17 describes the sad reality of Esau, and I'm afraid that it can be our sad reality if we are not mature Christians who reject immorality and, per- and reject godliness and per- godlessness and pursue holiness. Well, the sixth quality of Christian maturity is down in verse 25, where it says, "...see that you do not refuse him who is speaking." For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Now in verses 18 through 24, we kind of have the basis for our Christian maturity. It's all based on God and the kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have a God who now allows us to approach him unlike what the Israelites were not able to do. They weren't able to get close to that mountain when the fire was on that mountain. But we can approach God because of what Jesus has done. Because we are the firstborn of God. And Jesus uh, is the mediator of the new covenant. Well, here in verse 25, we see another aspect of Christian maturity, which is don't refuse him who speaks. The Hebrew writer is writing, I think, to a lot of Jewish Christians who, you know, are struggling with whether they need to go back to following some of the old Jewish traditions or not, whether they're going to do away with that or whether they're going to continue on with Jewish traditions. And so they would know exactly what the Hebrew writer is talking about here. Don't refuse him who speaks. Well, who do you think that, that the Hebrew writer is talking about there? I think they would have known that he's going back to the Old Testament and talking about the prophets. You remember how many prophets came to the people of Israel to warn them about what God was going to do, to to warn them, here's here's what you are involved in, here is your sin before you, here's what God's going to do about it. If you don't change something, God's going to send you into captivity. That's exactly what happens. Because the Israelites refused the one who came to speak to them, who refused the one who came to deliver God's word of warning to them. They wanted nice prophets who would tell them what they wanted to hear. They liked the prophets that told them, you know, your, your captivity isn't going to last 70 years, it's going to last you know, just a little while and then we're all going home. They wanted to hear messages like that. Those people went into captivity because they refused the one who spoke. And if God did that to them, what will he do to those who reject the word of God's Son that came to us from heaven? We can't refuse the one who speaks. Mature Christians do not ignore the words of God. And they don't ignore the warnings that are found there. They don't ignore the encouragement that are there. I I think that you know it's important to be careful because you know a preacher isn't um, you know like the apostles um, delivering what the Holy Spirit has given him to deliver. But a preacher stands up here and delivers what what God's word says. I think it's important that when You know, something serious has to be said. We don't reject what God's Word has said. We need to be involved in it. We need to think about it. Because if we reject what God said, if God sent them into captivity, what will happen to us? It is important that we pay attention to the words of God. A mature person doesn't refuse the one who speaks. Doesn't refuse the words of God, but rather pays attention to it and is changed by it. And then finally, in verse 28, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The last aspect of Christian maturity I want to talk about this morning is worshiping God acceptably what does it mean to worship God accept, acceptably? I, I think it means that you know worship how God is, has told us to worship. I think that's absolutely a critical part of it. But I don't think that's the only part of that, that that the Hebrew writer is getting at because he describes for us what acceptable worship looks like here. He says let us offer to God acceptable worship with what? Reverence and awe. Not superficially. Not trivially. Not, I'm just here to you know, get my daily dose of you know, good news and then I'm out the door. It's not, I come in here and I'm, you know, I'm looking for you know, some kind of movement within myself. Our goal in our worship, as we acceptably worship God, is with reverence and awe. Worship is begins and ends with God, with His glory. Do we get something out of that? Absolutely. But but our focus has to be the glory of God when we come together to worship. It is only in that experience of genuine awe that recognizes that worship begins with God and His glory rather than man and His needs. Begins with God. It's not about whether I'm satisfied or whether I enjoyed it or whether it entertained me. It's not about whether it was fat or thin or long or short. It's about whether out of a thankful and obedient heart I recognize that God is a consuming fire. That God is all-powerful. That God is worthy of my adoration and and my awe and my reverence. That's why I think it's important when we come together, we even begin thinking about what we're going to do before we come together. Maybe it should begin on Saturday. Saturday night. Begin thinking about, you know, here's what I'm going there to do. I'm going to worship God because look at what He's done for me. Look at how powerful He is. Reverence and awe. I have a wooden plaque in my office that uh, has some of the last words that, that my dad spoke in a devotional before he died, the, night, the day before he died. And I, I don't know them by heart. But I have that hanging up above my desk because it, it helps me to think about worship, I think, in the right way. And the gist of what he says is, how then are we going to go to worship? Are we coming ready to sing? Ready to pray? Ready to listen to God's word proclaimed? Are we ready to do that? Or is this some sort of last minute thing that we kind of rush out the door on Sunday morning and we get there and we don't get a whole lot out of it because we're not ready for it? Reverence and awe is worship that is acceptable to God. And it is that type of person that displays a mature quality of a Christian. So how do we display Christian maturity? We keep strong and we keep straight. We pursue harmony and holiness. We grow in grace, not in bitterness. We reject immorality and godlessness. We don't refuse Him who speaks. And we worship God Acceptably, We need every aspect of that in our lives. Those are essential qualities, and I'm not saying there aren't more qualities of Christian maturity, but those are what the Hebrew writer brings out for us, that we need to have in our lives if we can call ourselves mature Christians, and that's what we are all aiming for. I hope that this lesson this morning has helped you be able to evaluate where you are, Because I know as I look at those, I'm challenged by some of those. There are aspects there where I need to get better. I think we all have aspects where we need to get better as we strive to be mature Christians who follow our God and worship Him with reverence and awe. Ultimately, this comes down to we desire to be holy because our God is holy. We desire to follow His example. We desire to be like Him. If you're not a child of God this morning, understand this is the goal. We want to be mature Christians who belong to Christ. And there is no more important decision you can make in your life than deciding to start that journey. And it's a journey. It's a process. But with the Lord's help and with the help of your brothers and sisters, you can continue on that journey and you can persist with Christian maturity if you make that decision. And we encourage you to make that decision this morning. If you are a child of God and you've recognized there are some of these aspects that you're deficient in, we want to help you. We want to help you grow in those areas so that you too can be a mature follower of Christ. Whatever your need is this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing together.